Welcome to Monday afternoon. I'm Faye Waterman and this is a conversation with Faye. I have Libby Ellis and she she has an electric past with the experience of diverse industries ranging across hotel and catering and management, training and development, academia, community and economic development, farming, and most recently, a ballet school she owns and runs herself. Along the way, she has made lots of mistakes, earned a few qualifications, travelled a bit, is married and has a family of whom she is very proud and loves to bits. Welcome to the studio, Libby, and thank you for your time. Thank you. I'm, I'm very excited to be on um, a radio show. I'm excited that you said that you would come on and share the experiences that you've actually had because I think some of the experiences that you've had, some people can relate to and others may not relate to, but you've had a diverse background in so many different things. Let's share a little bit about where you started first, Libby. I was actually born in Hobart, if you want to go right back to the beginning, Faye, and my parents moved to the rural city of Wagga Wagga when I was about three years old. So I grew up and went to school in Wagga. With I'm a member of a very big family. I have four brothers and a sister and a huge extended family, which was extended even further when I got married. And my husband is one of five, so family parties are very big things in both households, which is wonderful. And then from Wagga, I went off to catering college and spent a few years in Sydney doing various things with catering, then decided to do some more study, came back to Wagga, did a whole lot of study, had a job at a hospital there and met Hamish, got married, moved out to the farm, had a job at the local council and then had a midlife crisis at about 50 and bought a dance school. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's it in a nutshell. That, that's a <laughs> bit of a midlife crisis. But let's go back to being born in Hobart. I'm a Taswegian. Welcome. No way. <laughs> I know Hobart very well. Then moving to Wagga and growing up there and going to school and you, you're one of how many children? Seven, is it? I'm one of six. Six. Yeah. I have four brothers and a sister. I'm one of nine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, you beat me hands down. I do. I do. <laughs> Where do you come, Faye? Number Where five. do you come in the family? Number five. Number five. Yeah. Looking at your past experience, going into the catering, what took you into into the catering business what what was the interest I wanted to own a pastry shop and have you know like a, a patissiere and and make beautiful cakes and it was just an, an, an interest that I had I didn't sort of feel very good at anything else I guess yeah ended up heading off to ride catering college after school I had 12 months before I actually I finished school I had 12 months in South Africa as an exchange student and then ended up yeah, at Ride Catering College. What the- was it like as an exchange student in South Africa? What part of South Africa were you in? Okay, I was in I was in Durban or just just out of Durban, right. so in Natal in Durban. An amazing experience. It was in the early 80s, so uh, apartheid was still a very happening thing. A country with a lot of similarities to Australia and a lot of very big differences as well. I managed to see a fair bit of, of the countryside and a fair bit of the place. I was obviously just being out of school and with a Rotary Exchange program, very well looked after and very well protected. But 
I remember thinking um, and explaining to people when I came back that, you know, it was a country that had a lot of work to do to find a way forward, I guess, in a modern world. Things have changed so much. I mean, that was well over 30 years ago now. So, and I haven't been, I haven't been back uh, not for lack of wanting to go, but just from lack of opportunity and different interests. But uh, it had a huge impact on me in terms of wanting to treat people the right way, wanting to, I guess, know that there is, read the word, I don't really quite know how to say it, but, you know, that there are people in the world who need looking after and that everybody is the same and it doesn't really matter what you look like or what colour your hair is, how curly your hair is, what colour your eyes are, what colour your skin is, that everybody is a person and everybody has so many interesting stories. Oh, very, very so, much so. The the stories yeah. that people have to tell, it's magical. For me, it's magical. What is one thing that you remember that sticks out for you with that year of living there? You'll laugh. Uh, there's a little bit of background to this story. So many, oh, look, it's really hard to pick one thing. The people that I stayed with and the friends that I made and the other exchange students that I met, were, and it was the people really that was, was important. And I was very young and naive. I was straight out of school, you know, grew up in a, a regional town, so didn't really know that much about the world. Uh, so it was a real eye-opener in a lot of ways. I remember the six-lane highways, like they were amazing and coming from little, you know, country back roads town. around um, <laughs> a, a country town, around Wagga and whatever, these these amazing six-lane six highways. And there wasn't even at that stage a double highway, you know, a four-lane highway between Sydney and Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So this was huge until I, and I was going, oh, isn't this wonderful? Until I realised that the reason that they were so big and so long was to move armies around if they needed to. So that was, uh, I, it took me a long time to realise that, you know, naive and didn't really, really know uh, what was going on. So so that stood out for me. The other thing that stood out for me is that in Africa then, and look, you know, as I said, I haven't been back for ages and the situation is now entirely different. There, were, there weren't just two races, it wasn't just black and white. There were two white races. There were the English and uh, or the English background people. The English background people of Dutch uh, background. The Afrikaners. Thirteen different tribal or, or black races. There were Zulus. There were Causes. There was West Africa. There was South Africa. There was you know just a much much more complex situation than people looking in on the outside would believe. Mm. So, yeah, when I was there, it was a country with a long way to go. But I think, you know, I read now. Yeah, it's come a long way. But what a huge. What a, a great way. memory. Oh, lots of great memories. Yeah. yeah. I've got a, a, a really good one. I'm not a big exercise person anyway, but I was, you know, a reasonable size when I went went to South Africa, didn't do much exercise, got fed a lot and had an absolutely great time with lots of yummy meals and put on a bit of weight. And one of the, the African ladies who was working in this house that I was staying with, I, I stayed there for, you know, my, very early on in my trip and came back later on when I I. I was filling out my clothes a lot better and she told me how much more beautiful I was looking and um, that that now I was I was very pretty and that I was fabulous because I was actually um, had put on a bit of weight. So I was thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And, again, that sort of, I, I sort of went, oh, 
you know, that, you know, where we're so focused as a society on what people look like rather than what they're like inside. That's and so true. When you came back, did you go straight into cooking side of things or did you – what did you do? I came home. I was was a little bit unsettled. I'd really missed my family, and I think probably I could have st- you know could have stayed at home, but I deferred deferred college, so I had to go. But in in amongst that time, I sort of had a bit of a hissy fit and decided I wanted to be an actor, but was too scared absolutely too scared to do anything about it so I went off to catering college instead oh and so that was about 19 what was the fear if you wanted to become an actor what was the fear that stopped you that I wouldn't be good enough yeah basically I think I think that was it also I was sort of in enough trouble with my uh, fairly conservative grandparents for going off and doing catering I would hate to think what they would look like or what they would have thought if I'd have said oh no I, I don't want to make um, pies anymore man I want to be an actor or an actress it would have been then and I, I'm just imagining that the the, the um, grand, grandparental disapproval at that stage <laughs> it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to go off and be a star or be be uh, I guess to, um, I wanted to be behind the stage and making the stories and, or telling the stories. Okay. Yeah, and um, I guess it was just like a confidence and also I'd committed to a course of action and I wanted to see it through as well. So, and I had no idea how, how to go about it, Faye. How, I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> how do you get to be an actor when you you know you're 19 you grew up in Wagga and you no idea about you know and, and as I said this was the early 80s so yeah. I, I had no idea and god bless my parents they were no help or advice in that particular my parents were fabulous but in terms of you know um becoming an actress I think even only a patisserie <laughs> shop was preferable at that stage okay we were talking about Libby, when she was younger, you know, in her early teens, oh, well, 19, 20-ish, and she wanted to become an actor, and I asked her the reason why she didn't. She did, said she didn't know the reason, you know, how to go about it to start with, but turned a circle, haven't you? And we'll come to that eventually. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk more more about going to college to learn to become, what do you say? Not a patisserie. Okay, I don't know. It, it, it's a hard one, Faye. But, and at that time, I was also very interested in in the business side of, of things as well. And at that stage, you couldn't, unless you went perhaps to Melbourne, I'm not exactly sure. I didn't really want to go to Melbourne. Most of my family was in Sydney. My extended family was in Sydney. So we tended to gravitate that way. I don't think there were very many places where you could actually do a catering course that included some of the higher level business stuff as well so the plan had been was to go to oh and look all amongst that too I totally um totally flunked the HSC so uh (laughs) and I love saying that because I've now got degrees coming out my ears so to anyone you know who's really really worried about the HSC and doesn't do well for whatever reason just don't let it stress you yeah okay there are so many pathways and so many different ways that your journey can take you and as long as you learn from every step of that way that's all that really matters 
And so, yeah, but then anyway, there I was. And see, I was a doctor's daughter. So, you know, being bright and good at maths and science and uh, the academic stuff was sort of expected. And I was much more artistically in, inclined in terms of um, performing arts anyway. I don't think I can draw, but I haven't tried that yet. You haven't? I might that, one day. That so, is something that you so, will do. Oh, absolutely. It's, it, it's, it's there. Yeah, probably later rather than sooner because I also tend to get quite distracted on my way way to do other things. I do get there eventually. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so here I was heading off to, and the plan was to go to catering college and get the practicalities under my belt and do that and work in the industry and then go to uni to study business. How long was the catering course? Uh, I didn't get into the diploma course because of my poor HSC marks, but I got into the certificate course and it was one year full-time and two years part-time. Right, okay. So you got to work Uh, in a patisserie in the second two years or was it – how much of it was practical and how much of it was theory? It was all all very practical and and the theory was very practically based, if that makes sense. So you actually served in a restaurant, you actually cooked, you actually made bed. The college out at, at Ride had, in, in those days, it was a very new place and we had lots of um, industry lecturers that really knew their stuff. So going to going to TAFE like that was a really practical experience. We worked behind a bar, we made cocktails, uh, we worked in the kitchen, we served the meals. Um, and then on top of that, there was some some things like bookkeeping and law, other other types of theory subjects as well. So when you were serving people, how did you enjoy it? Was it fun? I was petrified. Really? <laughs> I was really petrified. I yeah, I I um I was so scared I was going to tip somebody tip something over somebody. I thought I was going to muck up the orders. So it was was a bit of a weird experience and while I was actually doing doing the course I was living at a a nurse's home not a nursing home a nurse's home. <laughs> but a nurse's home which was which was a very interesting experience as well but look I, I I was you know I was really worried that that I was you know was going to muck something up and whatever but in the end when I got out in the workforce it, it's like anything else it's like any skill, the more you do it, the better you get at it. That's right. And if you make mistakes, that's okay. It is <laughs> you won't okay. do it again. <laughs> it is It is okay. I yeah. always say yeah. you're allowed to make a mistake as long as you don't repeat it over and over again because then you've got an issue. That's exactly, exactly right. Learning, um, let the mistakes happen, learn from them and go, you know, and feel like, you, you know, a friend of mine at the moment us forward. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Just you know, fast make forward. a mistake. Okay, that's my fail for today. Fast forward, <laughs> but learn from it and go right. And so I've always sort of been a little bit of a poke it with a stick person and see what happens. And learning by doing. And if you learn by doing, you're bound to make mistakes. So I think it's a matter of having enough confidence in yourself, uh, which does, which isn't always there. But again, I think that's something that you can practice. And yeah, having enough confidence in yourself to go right. Okay, now I know what not to do, I can do this better next time. What was it like when you came out? What sort of jobs did you get from the course? While I (laughs) – I didn't ever get into my patisserie. 
You didn't. <laughs> no. Well, it just didn't. It just didn't happen. I I did a a little bit of work at um, RSL clubs. Right. <laughs> around uh, Ride and, and in that area while I was at, at college. And then I think it was in my last year, I scored a job as an assistant uh, functions manager at the University of New South Wales Union mm-hmm. uh, in the Roundhouse, mm-hmm. which is their great big round building. Yeah, anyway, they, they had lots of food outlets on campus. They had a very big function centre uh, with functions up to a 1,000 people, from 100 to a 1,000 people. So that was a fabulous place and an amazing, amazing experience in dealing with people, working with people, all, all the absolute practicalities of running functions for a 1,000 people. Wow, so, and that's a huge amount of people, isn't it? A thousand people to serve. It was, was massive, yeah. But what so, a great, great um, experience, you know, working with all these people and there is a, a huge expectation that everyone gets served but it will take more time to serve everybody and people would be sitting there getting frustrated. So how did you... If someone was frustrated and they they wanted their meal or whatever it was that you were serving, how did you work with that? How did you deal with that? If someone became irate, well, my, oh, you, you you talk to them, calm them down, find out what the need is, and then um, you know apologize, make sure that they get their meal meal quickly. It didn't actually it didn't actually really happen that much. Not in, not in my experience. I was working with with a very experienced lady uh, who was the functions manager and um, another another offsider who was, I was a very junior member of the team, just acknowledging that people, I guess that people are upset and, and why. And, of course, you get people who get upset for no reason. doesn't mean that you, know, you still probably deal with it in the same way. But it was a functions place and a lot of school functions, a lot of end-of-year end of school things, and mostly people were pretty merry and pretty happy. I, I don't recall... I don't recall that many that that many issues with people getting upset, but you could have up to you know to forty five staff with you know waiting and working behind the bar and to. drinks waiters and yeah yeah and you know three or four kitchens well three or three or four service points set up you know especially if we had the upstairs as well so you know there there'd be three or four service points and um, the food would come out of on trays it would just get hoiked out to people, not like Frisbees. I've just, I've just got this cartoon picture of Frisbeeing these meals onto the table. Well, I was um, going to say, did you but, Yeah, but them? most people, yeah, <laughs> most, people was re- <laughs> most people were really good. They were really happy. They were there to celebrate and it was, it was a good time. So, yeah, and understanding, I think, too, of the situation. But I had a fabulous boss. She was amazing and everything was very well controlled, very well organised and, uh, makes a difference, it, you know, doesn't it? I don't remember very many problems at all. Makes a difference, doesn't it, when you've got someone who mm. is a good leader that makes sure that everything happens when it's supposed to happen. What did you do after you finished with all the catering and doing that? What was the next thing that you went into? Well, I was still working at the Roundhouse at the university. I uh, went, uh, I sort of finished off the TAFE while I while I was working there and then sort of had a year where I just had fun 
<laughs> I won't tell you those stories. Oh, babe, I was going cause... to say. Mm, okay. <laughs> I had, for another I had time. For another, for another time. Another time. Another time. And perhaps a different sort of show. But <laughs> I had, by that stage, I had half my family members living in Sydney as well, three of my brothers, and, and they were all very sporty and hockey played hockey and we're, we're all pretty social so we had a we had a really great time and we all sort of worked in that catering industry too because the boys all had jobs as waiters or drink waiters or whatever so mm. our nights or our weekends or our work days would, um, sometimes <laughs> finish at three in the morning you know there were only certain amount of places that were open at three in the morning and things like that so so you would have got so that well was known <laughs> for being I, oh, I don't know that, it, that I was that I was that well known but I I certainly discovered early openers as as you called the pubs that opened up at <laughs> early in the morning um, oh, really? but they were there for people who finished shift work yes um, not just yeah. people in the hospitality industry and whatever and I still have fabulous memories of finishing work um, very late and heading to the bakery for croissants straight out of the oven and, and oh, things nice. like that. So oh, nice. oh it was it was fabulous. In in great company and with, with some very good friends. So that was interesting. What did you do after after that? After you had your year off? When did you get married? Well, no, I didn't get married then. <laughs> I I You kept I, on having fun. No, so I I'm still working at the university and then I decided oh, I'd better you know, I was a little bit bored. I always like to keep things happening. So I thought, oh I'll start a a degree by correspondence. So I started my business degree at Charles Sturt University, uh, got really interested in that, got sick of Sydney, got sick of the, the hours and missing missing parties, missing 21st, always working when everyone else was out having fun and came back to, uh, yeah, came back to Wagga and went to uni full-time for a little while. Okay. So, and how was that as opposed to doing it on, you know, distance it was, in some ways, it was a lot easier. You have to be very disciplined to study on your own. It, it's very easy to put off things. When you actually have to go to places, I think there's there's a little bit more the feeling, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to let somebody down if I'm not at that lecture. Uh, but having said that, that was again um, studying by correspondence in the 80s was very very different mm. to the way it any study is now and of course with COVID the whole world's changed and the totally. whole approach to to study and things is now completely different completely uh, <laughs> completely different so um yeah so I moved back to Wagga worked at an RSL club to to keep myself fed and to pay uni fees didn't I lived separately I didn't live with my family but obviously I caught up with them I got a couple of dogs finished my degree and then got a job at it was then Wagga Wagga Base Hospital in their um, human resources department as a training and development officer. And so how was that? That that was very interesting. No one much in organisations like human likes human resources people. <laughs> Um, no, they keep I think throwing people... spanners in the works, don't they? Making you yeah, become yeah, compliant. Stuff like, stuff like occupational health and safety, and uh, you know, important stuff like training and making sure your qualifications are up to date so uh so that was that was interesting I think there was it was really my first taste of um organizational politics for want of a better word 
my first taste of organisations working with very scarce resources and very high priorities. Uh, so I can certainly understand in the health system why people feel uncomfortable, I guess, with human resources people. Uh, when I started the degree, it was just going to be a plain business degree and then I did some of the human resources subjects and, and focused more on uh on, on those sorts of things rather than the accounting subject. So, and, and that was that was great. Um, Charles Sturt was a fabulous uni, very absolutely fabulous at that time of doing uh, online, well, not what we would call online now. Then it was called external external studies and you used to get packets, packets of books in the mail and they'd post you library books and all of this sort of stuff, completely different to, to today. today. What we're going to talk about right now is the arts. Now, Libby, let's talk about the arts and what that means to you to start with, how you're involved in the arts and how good is it for young kids to do for a start? Uh, Look, I think anything artistic is fabulous for any age to do things. I think particularly the performing arts, are valuable for kids. Uh, Drama, singing, dancing, uh, circus, uh, poetry, recital, anything like that is fabulous for young kids in terms of boosting their confidence, particularly their confidence, knowing that you can get up in front of an audience and say something if you need to, whether it's at work, whether it's uh, at a meeting, whether you're part of an organisation, a community organisation, and particularly for young women in, in terms of being able to have and be confident enough to have a voice and say what they think and say what they feel. And to me, the best fun you can have is is being in a musical theatre uh, production Absolutely. or being behind behind stage and making it all happen is even better than that. Absolutely so, love musicals and seen many of them. Uh, it, it's really interesting when young kids get the opportunity to perform in one way or another, whether it's dance or whether it's singing, you know, it, it's a great opportunity for them to be able to build their confidence and their self-esteem and maybe even stand out from the crowd sometimes with their performance. Oh, and, and, and it's such fun. That's the other thing for kids. I think, I mean, you can get nervous and uh, some kids get more nervous than others, others don't. Uh, but I, I think learning how to overcome those nerves is uh, is fabulous because I think everybody gets nervous about something and having some strategies to do that is uh, a really useful life experience. And to me, uh, the performing arts in particular um, are not about making kids stars or being stars but learning about life and preparing kids for life. I think drama in particular is amazing. Faye, we were chatting before and, and we were talking about, you know, being able to put on a persona or put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Automatically, if you have to think about what somebody else is doing or what somebody else is like or what problems they have or that, you, that, that you're going to portray on the stage or wherever it is that you're going to do, 
automatically I think you're establishing the grounds for some really good empathy because you can think about the other person and their circumstances and how would that affect me in that place and how would I feel if this happened to me. And for some reason the 14-year-olds just love it. If you, I run a dance school and it, with the 14-year-olds everything is, is pretty angsty, you know, it's, and I know I, maybe it's a stage of life thing. But a stage it also of life at 14. A, oh, I know. Oh, they're all, they're, I'll guarantee every one of them will be in tears at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and the music that they select, and it's it's all very, you know, deep and, and meaningful. And, uh, and I think any of the performing arts gives kids uh, an opportunity to practice life before it happens and to think about it and to experience it, even if they don't know that that's what's happening. And I think that the skills that, and the understanding that you gain from that process is very, very important and stands you in good stead for the rest of your life. Absolutely. It's really interesting to think that 14-year-olds are the ones that are really wanting to get out there and have a go. So you allow them to choose their music and then you will create whatever it is for them to do? Yes and no. We have certain classes at the school where uh, the kids can do that, Um it's really, I guess it, it's really up to, to the teachers what happens in the classes. My teachers tend to be very consultative about the process when they're choreographing music or, chore- sorry, choreographing dance to different music or mm. different sounds. So they like to involve the students in that process, um, even sometimes the, the little tiny ones. So, But I think also with the 14-year-olds, they get very, very self-conscious at that age and well that's my observation starting a little bit earlier I think and so life can be pretty tricky for teenagers tricky and tough at times too can't it be yeah when when they're tiny when they're little the little ones don't worry about what people think they just do it don't they no I mean they just get up on the stage if they're performing and they're looking out there to find their parents and trying to copy the person next to them and do all that sort of thing. But when you're at an age like 13, 14 and older, you're there to put on a performance and not make any mistakes and get stressed out if you make a mistake or whatever instead of having Mm. fun and enjoying it because nobody knows if you've made a mistake unless you let them know. This exactly. Exactly. Never let it. Sh- never let it show on your face. Yeah. And wing it. Yeah. You forget that's... the choreography. It doesn't matter. Make it up. No one's going to know. <laughs> and if you're in a group, just and you forget what they're doing, just do something a little bit different, and then come back in. <laughs> Have a lot yeah, of fun with that. You can, fun. and it, and and that's also you know. Again, their life skills, it's working in a team and if somebody makes a mistake, you go, right, okay, well, a mistake happened. Not, you know, blaming other people for that because everybody can have a bad day. It's about uh, it, it's about working together. It's about supporting each other. And if a mistake happens, you know, some a little bit of instant problem solving to sort the situation out. So there's a lot of, um, and also there's a lesson in that, that the better prepared you are and the more you practice, the the less you're inclined to make a mistake. So uh, <laughs> True. But so, it's, it's interesting. I mean, So there's a little lesson in everything we do. 
It teaches video. it teaches them to work as a team or a group so that they bring everyone in and consider each other and make sure everyone's working together and doing whatever they need to do at the same time or doing different things to each other, but synchronising it, making it happen so that the way they've prepared it. And I think that support is really important for for the students when they're, you know, performing on stage as a group or a team, whatever you want to refer to it mm-hmm. as, they're supporting each other. And it doesn't matter, as you said before, if they make a mistake, just make it up. Nobody in the audience knows that you've made a mistake unless you show it and say, oh, my God. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and. And, and we are we are talking a country ballet school here. So most of our performances are local Steadfords or local competitions and the concert for the parents at the end of the day. So it, it's a totally, totally different environment to, um, to a professional theatre or a professional company. And I guess in a way, especially with dance, you know, it's wonderful if, if any of our kids get into um, a professional company or go on to full-time study in the arts or full-time dance or full-time drama, any of those things. Mostly, uh, from my perspective, my school's about life skills and confidence and uh, get working together and the discipline of dance and drama and, and, you know, being part of a, a dance troupe is more work and more commitment than being part of a football team or a netball team. Uh, it's much more a much more complex skill, uh, you know, performing a dance and and working in a team uh, than a lot of a lot of sports are. It's got the music, it's got the drama, it's you know, it's got the movement, it's got a little bit of everything. So the kids tend to be have very good memories, be really switched on, be really aware of other people and their surroundings at the same time, and generally speaking, uh, incredibly supportive friendships um, outside you know your normal school, and that, uh, which I think a lot that. of kids value. I saw that a lot. My daughter danced and she developed friendships outside of school with the dance girls and it's really interesting. They're still friends today and you develop Mm. friendships and you develop a confidence within yourself and I was involved with dance for many, many, many years and as a committee member, not as a a dance student as such. But it's really interesting to watch these students as they come from the little ones up into the older age groups. And some of them, as you say, they get together and it's just to perform in the Steadfords or, you know, a concert at the end of the year for their parents or whatever it might be. But it is it is really important to build that confidence within themselves so that they can go out and pursue things in life that they may never have done. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think drama and dance in, in particular, and I should say, uh, Faye, I'm not a dancer. I, I came into this on a bit of a mission to uh, just make sure that some opportunities for dance stayed in rural and and regional Australia uh, and uh, just to make sure that that sort of facility was available for kids. So I rely a lot on my team to do the teaching and the dancing and the choreography and I just sort of, you know, 
do the costumes you're, and get everything organised. But in the uh, background all the time, making sure everything's working so that everyone gets what they need at the time that they need it. And that's a very important aspect of, of, of a business to start with and giving these students an opportunity who wouldn't necessarily in rural areas. You know, society has this picture of, um, you know, ballerinas at a certain weight, shape, height, uh, although I think that's starting to change. And I think that's I a little bit so. of a shame because, uh, because you know, dance can be in everybody's life and even if you're not good at it. Well, no, that's not the right way to say it. Even if you think you're not good at it, you probably are. Uh, but it's 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 up to you what you make of what you've got and we don't really care um, at my studio what shape you are, what colour you are. If you want to dance and you come in and, you know, work hard or, you know, if you have a if you're different to somebody else, that's great, that's fabulous. It's it's not a problem. It's all about working to what um, your potential is and your goals. So we have kids who are very, very serious about ballet, and we have some who are the, who and and adults as well. I mean, my younger student is two, and my oldest is uh, about eighty-seven. And what, to, so, what does the eighty-seven-year-old do? Tap. Oh yes, <laughs> love tap. She does. She does tap. She's got some time off at the moment because she had a knee reconstruction, but oh, <laughs> not because of the tap, though. Oh wow! So, so we. So the idea is that um, everything we do is very much underpinned by safe dance practice. So. Uh, we want all these people who are dancing to be dancing when they're 90. Forget about the 70, the 87, you know, let's go right through until we're 90. <laughs> Even older, it, you know, we've, we've discovered that um, it's something that you can pick up uh, anywhere along the way. We have, we're an RAD school, which is the Royal Academy of Dance. So we teach ballet according to their syllabus. Mm-hmm. And we now have two adults uh, they're, they're ladies who have been dancing now, I think, at the studio for about four years, uh, but are so inspired by it and so love it that they're actually working their way through the exams. And they're doing, uh, this year, they're doing their grade three RAD exam, which is their third exam. Really? So, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing and it's inspiring. Love it. And, and love it. we have, you know, these ladies have been in that particular class uh, with the little kids from when the from when the kids were about six and a half. How accepting so, are they of the older people in the class? Oh, they love it. They absolutely love it. They, they tell them what to do. Really? They, they, stand, they stand and watch and give them little signals if they think the adults are going to forget something. Really? Um, yeah, no, no, it's fabulous. I think it's probably more challenging for the adults than it is for the kids. Oh, absolutely. Uh, kids at that stage just really soak up things and learn very, very quickly. They haven't got years of habits about their body so uh, as older people do. It is really watching these particular ladies having having done their exams and going going through the whole thing with the kids and how supportive they the little kids are of these adults is just amazing how well the adults have done like you know that's that's a real challenge it's a how challenge when you're these, a kid but... how old are these uh, adults that are that had started ballet 4 years ago so when how old uh, roughly okay, were they? so um i have to be 
be careful because if they get identified, I will be in big trouble, Faye, for giving away their ages. Don't but, just um, give them a We'll say late 30s. Right. We'll say late 30s. That's yeah, not yeah. old. Did they, did they dance? No, no, it's not. But did they dance beforehand or have they've never done dance but it's something that they've desired to do all their life and now they have the opportunity? Uh, they've, they've never danced before. I'm not sure. And, and I think they both got interested because their daughters came along to the school. One daughter is still dancing there. The other one isn't, but mum still is. And we've got quite a few parents and quite a few adults who, who you know, younger adults as well, who come and, and come and dance. So it's yeah, it's really it's a really from a business perspective, it's a really growing market. And from a you know a, a social capacity building perspective, it's amazing. It's just fabulous <laughs> to have all these different ages at the at the studio trying different things. And how yeah. how is it for the the daughters of the mothers? How do they feel about their mother being in there? Being involved, um, I think one of them's in denial, <laughs> but I also know I also know that they um, that they go home and they say, "Mummy, don't do it like that. You do it like this." So we've we've got we've got two or three mother daughter um, dancing relationships in the studio. So that's yeah. nice. Um, I think so that's fabulous. It's it's it is it's fabulous, and it's just it's just really lovely to see. You know, adults and teenagers working together, adults and little kids working together, quite unique relationships. And, fabulous. And a fabulous, fabulous example for um, the younger kids and the teenagers, A, that you, if you've always wanted to try something, just do it, pick it up. It doesn't matter if you're good or you're not. If you enjoy doing it and and get joy out of it, then that's the most important thing. So absolutely fabulous, you know, examples for our, our younger kids. And also adults tend to come to the studio quite determined and very persistent and practice. Uh, and that's also a great, a great thing for the kids to fabulous. see that happen.